Hola, soy Erika de la Vega y hago un podcast llamado En Defensa Propia, donde converso con mujeres sobre sus procesos de reinvención y transformación y sobre las herramientas que necesitamos para lograrlo. A través de las historias que escucharás en En Defensa Propia, conseguirás la inspiración y la motivación para reconectar con tu poder interior, cambiar tu actitud hacia los cambios y así poder diseñar la vida que quieres vivir. En Defensa Propia. Puedes escuchar En Defensa Propia en todas las plataformas de audio. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast has content that may not be appropriate for all audiences. You'll hear about some difficult subjects like drug abuse, domestic violence, suicidal thoughts, and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, listeners. I'm Emmy Olea. As a special bonus episode, I'm going to answer questions from listeners. Let's get into it. Sharing my story on the first season of Crumbs felt vulnerable. I wasn't sure how people were going to respond. And I was honestly really nervous. So it meant a lot to me to hear all the positive feedback on the show. How much it meant to you as listeners. Even so, I was really nervous to do it all over again, and with my mom. But again, it's been really great to hear from you. The main questions I get are about identity and about my love life. So let's hear what you all want to know. One listener asked me, how to help parents organically guide and raise kids that don't fit into society's gender norms. So just for context, This person started following me during season one. She has a son who is very much like the way I was when I was a kid. He likes to play dress up. He gravitates towards the feminine things. And for me, seeing that, she allowed him to be whoever he is from a very young age. You know, it took me back to my days as a child how Marmalicha would let me play with dolls. And that's why I felt so safe with her because I knew that if I were to go out in the street and play with dolls, I was going to get made fun of or I was going to get bullied or called names. But at home, I had this safe place where I could be myself, whether it's like wearing my mom's high heels or playing with my grandma's veils or playing with dolls. I was allowed that safe space. When my aunts would come over, and I talked about this in season one, they would get really upset at my Mamalicha for letting me play with dolls. So here's the thing about it. What I feel 
and this is just my opinion, I'm not a professional, the message that I received and what I started feeling was shame. Shame to be who I was authentically. Because yes, even though Mamulicha allowed me to be me and provided that safe space, when my aunts would come and throw away my dolls and bring me different kinds of toys, I heard that it was wrong to do what I was doing. And so that created this insecurity that I carried with me throughout my adult life. We pick up the messages that our parents tell us or that people close to us tell us. That's where the shame comes from for kids because you're told not to act a certain way, not to move a certain way, not to sound a certain way, not to present a certain way because of old ideas that we have. And that fucks with the child's mind so bad. Just let a child be. Let someone just be. If Mamili Cha would have allowed me to dress and play however I wanted outside of the house, I think I would have been such a more confident person. Having that parental encouragement all around, not just at home, but also outside of the home, and raising us to not give a fuck what people think about us goes such a long way. I think it would have affected my self-esteem in a different way. The way I felt about myself. Crushing that shame very early on instead of like waiting until my adult life. So when I hear a parent that allows their child to just be their authentic selves in the very beginning, it makes me so happy. Because you know what? It's not that we're teaching them to be a certain way. We're just allowing them to find themselves on their own. And how beautiful is that? This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. 
My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. <laughs> and catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. So next question. This one is from another listener. What has been your biggest struggle in life? I mean, if you're listening to this, you know all about my life. And there have been many, many struggles. And so having to pinpoint the biggest, biggest struggle, oh, I don't know. I feel like the first thing that comes to mind was coming into like my own, right? Becoming Emmy. And I think I fought it for so long. When I was little, I did not know that trans women existed. My first glimpse of it was during an HBO show. There was this documentary on a trans woman who is a very, very sad and tragic story. For the longest time, trans women have only been represented as victims or villains or fetishized. I'm actually working on another project about that, so stay tuned. As long as I can remember, I don't remember seeing any trans representation growing up. And being raised Catholic, I had all these ideas of how wrong this was and how it was like going against the grain and going against God. So then when I got sober and I started my recovery process, I had to take stock of my life. I had to see why I had such resentment towards women in general. I was just kind of standoffish towards women, not really having, outside of my close friend group, not really having relationships with other women. And it came down to, it was because I always wanted to be them and I wanted what they had. It was one of the things that I had the most internal conflict with because, and I've talked about this before, am I going to lose everything? We have this issue of equity between men and women. It's a real thing. And let me just tell you, pre-transition, I had more confidence because things were attained easier for me once I got out into like, let's say the workforce. I've always been a hustler. So I've always like really worked my way from the bottom to the top. And so post-transition, I had to start all over again. As a woman, 
was kind of like a double hurdle because not only am I a woman now, but I'm also a trans woman. I'm going to be discriminated against in the workforce. My friends and family might not like who I am. I'm going to lose everything that I've worked so hard for and have to start from zero with potentially all my friends. Potentially, like, my family is going to disown me and no one's ever going to love me. Am I going to take this leap of faith or am I going to live an inauthentic life that ultimately makes me want to die? So here we are. Shit, how, how long has it been? 14 years later, I look back and I made best decision of my life. After getting sober, this was the next best thing. Because, I mean, if I hadn't been sober, I was eventually going to die or end up in prison. But if I had not admitted to my innermost self who I really was, it was going to kill me. I took this leap of faith and I started to see in color. Things started to make sense. It's kind of like the lights went on. Outside of everyone else, I felt like I was me. And this came with, God, it's so much to unpack because I was finally myself. Things were making sense. I felt comfortable in my own skin. Did I lack a little confidence? Absolutely. I still have like some insecurities, like it's not perfect, but it's turned out pretty damn well, I'd say. I can't imagine my life otherwise. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in LA. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. Oldest girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by oldest girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. 
she would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So a bunch of people have asked me for an update on my love life. I get a lot of DMs from listeners like, are you back with Dylan? Is there a new person in your life? What's going on? And I thought I would give you an update of love after Dylan. I talked about my experiences dating after my transition in the first season of Crumbs. Spoilers ahead. If you haven't listened already, go back to the feed and check it out. I promise it's worth it. And we'll be here when you're done. So, with each new relationship, I felt like I was getting closer to figuring out what I wanted. I was getting to the heart of why I kept settling for love that was jealous or volatile. And a lot of that has to do with how I grew up, which you heard about in both seasons. And then I met Dylan. He was amazing. He was also in recovery. He was caring, considerate, and we started building a life together. I finally felt loved and cared for the way I always wanted. But then, that came crashing down. I was totally blindsided. I thought I'd found my fairy tale ending, but it came apart. So I put dating on hold. I needed more time to heal, and I decided to focus on myself. I did a lot of reflecting, and what I realized is that there were a lot of red flags that I'd ignored with Dylan. Like, he was new in his sobriety and dating. He was still figuring out a lot of things about himself. And he was quick to jump into the relationship. I had a better sense now of what to look for and what to look out for. So at the beginning of 2020, I was just starting to think about dating again. I was spending most of my time at work or with my friends or just home with my dogs. I wasn't quite ready to get back out there. Then, one Wednesday night, I was home with the dogs. We were watching TV, just relaxing. When I get a DM, it was from a friend of mine, a guy named Brad. Hey, Emmy, this is me sliding into your DMs. I gotta be honest, pretty devastated right now, going through a divorce, but I have always thought of you as one of the prettiest women around. 
I'd like to take you out to dinner sometime if you're ever interested. Holy shit. But wait, let's back up a little. I'd met Brad a few years earlier, before I even started dating Dylan. I was at a recovery meeting and my friend Rick walks in with this guy that I'd never seen before. Instantly, I was like, whoa. This guy was tall, handsome, muscular, blonde hair, bright blue eyes. He looked casual, but put together. In dickies, a t-shirt, vans. Damn. As soon as we left the meeting, I cornered Rick. Who is that? Oh, that's Brad, he said. He's a great guy. A great guy. Check. He just moved here from NorCal to go to UCLA for social work school. Smart and a social worker? Check. He's been sober for a while. Check. And he lives with his fiance. Womp womp. Okay, so he's engaged. Not my future husband. I filed him in the unavailable folder. But still, Rick was right. Brad's a great guy. And we became good friends. Time passed. I met Dylan. And Brad got married. We'd see each other around. And I always really enjoyed seeing him in recovery meetings. So did everyone else. He was just really kind and thoughtful. And now, fast forward to me, single, sitting on my couch, getting a DM from Brad. What the fuck? Immediately, I called Dana, my best friend. She was as shocked as I was. I mean, he'd literally just gotten married the year before. But she reminded me that this wasn't just some random guy from a dating app. This was someone I knew and liked. A lot of people did. Plus, he checked all my boxes. Sober, smart, career-oriented, dedicated, and well, let's face it, super hot. Even if he was recently divorced, who knew what the story was? You gotta go for it, she said. Dana's always telling me to put myself out there. I was hesitant, but I was also curious. So I hung up with Dana and opened Instagram again. Hi, Brad. I'm sorry you're going through it. I've always thought of you as a great guy. And yes, I would love to have dinner with you. He responded immediately. Awesome. You free at all this weekend? I can pick you up. What kind of food do you like? We made a date for Saturday at 8 p.m. He said he'd pick a place and surprise me. When I closed my phone, I realized my heart was racing. I hadn't been on a date since things ended so dramatically with Dylan and here's this great guy that I didn't even think was available asking me out. It felt too good to be true. Finally, Saturday rolled around. It was Brad. I'm outside. My heart was racing. I turned to my dogs. Wish me luck. Brad got out of his truck as I walked up. I'd only ever seen him in sneakers and casual clothes. Here he was in slacks, a tucked-in dress shirt, and dress shoes. Damn, clearly dressed to impress me. You look beautiful, he said. He opened the car door and helped me in. Once I was settled, I turned to him. All right, Brad, I just want to get this out of the way. I'm fucking nervous. Thank God you said that, he said. I'm so nervous, you're the first date I've had in years. It felt good to start with that, honesty. 
Plus, we were on the same page in a way. I hadn't been out in a while. Neither had he. I relaxed a little bit. The drive there was a mystery. I didn't actually know where we were going, so I was thrilled when he pulled into the parking lot of a really nice steakhouse on a hilltop overlooking Los Angeles. We kept talking as we walked into the restaurant. Finally, I got the courage to ask about the elephant in the room. I was shocked to hear about your divorce. I have to ask, what happened? Oh, well, there was some infidelity on her part. And yeah, it's been on the rocks for a while, he said. Well, you've been in this for a while, so tell me, have you really healed from it? Are you ready to get back out there? I don't want to be your rebound, I said. I felt a little nervous being so direct, but if I've learned anything, it's better to just say what's on my mind. That's a valid question, he said, but you have nothing to worry about. You're definitely not a rebound, and I'm happy to answer any other questions about it. Okay, I still felt wary. A recent divorcee. Red flag, right? Even if he was saying it was a done deal, my guard was definitely up. We kept talking about our lives, about recovery. I feel most at home with other people in recovery, especially if they've been sober for years. We speak the same language. They get me immediately in ways that others might not ever get. I realized I was having a really nice time. The waiter came by a few times. We were talking so much that we hadn't even looked at the menu. Then Brad turned to me. Emmy, I have something to confess. Uh-oh, here we go. I'm not very cultured. I'm not used to fancy places, but I think so highly of you and I really wanted to give you the kind of date you deserve in my eyes. Since I met you, I always told myself that if anything were to ever go wrong in my marriage, you'd be the first person I'd reach out to. Wow. From a stranger, this wouldn't mean much, right? But Brad knew me. He heard me speak at recovery meetings for years. He knew my life story. He knew I was trans. He knew things I'd been hesitant to share with people, especially love interests, for years. He knew all of that, all the ugly details of my life. And this was how he felt? It meant a lot. So I reassured him, I'm not as high maintenance as people think. You know where I come from, so just be you. The rest of the evening felt relaxed and romantic. After dinner, he asked to put his arm around me. We walked around outside, taking in the alley skyline. He took a photo of me enjoying the scene. When he drove me back to my apartment, I invited him in. We cuddled up and continued chatting. Then he said, Emmy, I really want to kiss you. About time. I didn't say that though. But I'm scared. I haven't kissed anyone other than my wife in eight years. It's okay, just do it, I said. He leaned over and kissed me. It was okay. To be honest, not the best kiss. But neither was Dylan, and we made it work. We made out for a little while, and then he headed home. The next day, Brad texted me. Hey, Emmy, is it bad that I want to see you again today? Are you free? Only if we can get frozen yogurt, I said. 
immediate follow-up after a good date. Green flag. I have to admit, I was very excited. We had another great date. And then another. In the back of my mind, of course, was his impending divorce. But he kept showing up. And things were good. Then all of a sudden, the pandemic was in full swing. Shutdown started. I was scared. But Brad kept showing up. And he reassured me that we'd get through this. Together. We spent hours cooking, watching TV, going to recovery meetings on Zoom. Even in the midst of this chaos, he was grounded in his recovery. He even got me a parking spot at his place. He started calling me Hermosa. And every morning, he texts me bright and early. Good morning, Hermosa. ¿Cómo estás, Hermosa? It was cute to see him making an effort to connect with me in this way, because he's not a Spanish speaker. The world seemed to be falling apart, yet here I was in a relationship that made me feel held and seen. And everyone agreed. Everyone really liked this guy and what they were seeing. Green flag after green flag. Still, his wife was in the back of my mind. Their divorce wasn't final. And from my experience with Dylan, I felt hesitant about getting too comfy. But then every day he kept showing up and his actions showed me that he was the real deal. In the pandemic, we went on a date to the Griffith Observatory. It was a gorgeous day. We hiked to the top and it felt so good to be outside, enjoying the fresh air. And here I am with this great guy. He plucked a flower and put it behind my ear. Classic Brad, thoughtful and romantic. After he took a photo of us, he turned to me and said, I already told my wife I was seeing someone else. Whoa, we were spending a lot of time together. I was starting to let my guard down, but still we hadn't defined things. This felt big, telling his wife about me. How'd she take it? I asked. She was happy for me, he said. Okay, cool, right? That felt mature, open, good communication. As we hiked back down to the car, I felt even better knowing that Brad wasn't just telling anyone about this. He told his ex-wife. My fears of being a rebound were slowly melting away as the weeks passed. Things weren't perfect. Brad, perfect on paper, had his issues, of course. The main one being performance anxiety. But even that we sorted out. <laughs> Good communication. Slowly, we started talking about our future together. Fun things like going on a trip after the pandemic. We spent hours looking at Airbnbs in Mexico City. And then the most serious things. Our goals, our dreams, what we wanted in a partner, what we wanted in a family. I told Brad I would love to adopt kids one day, and he agreed, especially since he'd been in the foster system growing up. We passed the time together, making it through the beginning of the pandemic, supporting each other's recovery and just having fun. Then, one day while Brad and I were together, his phone kept vibrating. It wouldn't stop. He kept clicking it off, only to have it ring again. Finally, he took out his phone and showed it to me. This is what I've been dealing with, he said. It was his wife calling. He'd changed her name to Cunt on his phone. Whoa, this wasn't the Brad I knew. Alarm bells were starting to go off again. Emmy, 
You're exactly what I want in a partner. But my ex is really fucking with my head. I don't know what to do. I talked to my sponsor. Okay, that's good at least. And I think I have to block her. Okay, I thought. The vibe had shifted. Brad was antsy and said he had to go home. I felt really anxious when he left. We had made plans the next day to have lunch. Lunch came around. I spent hours prepping and cooking for him. And I was sitting in the kitchen waiting for him. Nothing. I waited and waited. No call, no text. I was starving at this point. Finally, I decided to call him. When he didn't pick up, I left a voicemail. Hey Brad, it's 4 p.m. and I'm worried about you. You say you've come over for lunch and I just wanna make sure that you're okay. Call me when you get this message. Five minutes later, he texted back. I'm still working. I'll call you when I get off. Hours passed. Nothing. Finally, late at night, he called me. Hey, sorry, the day just got away from me. I fucked up at work and underestimated a few things. I'm just gonna rest tonight. Okay, cool, I said. We'll talk later. Get some rest. We hung up. My mind was spinning. Was I being too extra? What was going on? I laid down on my couch and watched TV for the rest of the night. When I woke up in the morning, I didn't have any texts, none of the usual morning messages from Brad. My heart sank. Finally, in the afternoon, Brad called me. I felt a little sick as I picked up the phone. So, Emmy, like I said the other night, you're perfect. You're everything I want in a partner. But I feel like it's unfair to string you along when I'm only one foot in the door while I'm dealing with the situation I'm in. I 100% meant what I said on our first date. I was ready to date and get to know you. And I'm so sorry that your initial fears and concerns are coming true. But please know that I really did mean it. I just have to address some shit in my marriage. I don't know what's going to happen, but I don't want you to feel like a second choice. I was stunned and I went numb. I didn't want to show any emotion. All right, Brad, go take care of whatever you have to take care of. And we hung up. My first thought was, what the fuck? Why did I do this? I knew he was getting a divorce, but I decided to go for it. And sure enough, he was deeper in his own pile of relationship shit than he told me. But when I called Dana, she reminded me he was showing up for you. You had every reason to trust him. Everyone has red flags, but he had a lot of green ones too. That's part of dating. If there's enough green flags, you take a leap of faith. Not blind faith, right? Like, it's good to be informed, but you can't see the future. You don't know if the red flag will end up being a deal breaker. I'm honestly glad I chose to trust Brad. It didn't work out. It was fucking painful especially in the pandemic. People aren't perfect, right? There's always something. And there's another world where him going through a divorce wasn't a deal breaker. So I think the takeaway is, I want to keep hoping for the best, not blindly. 
I'm not going to repeat the same mistakes, but it's okay to learn from new ones and to take a leap of faith, to hope this new person is the right person. My life has been full of surprises, of being let down, but it wasn't all bad. When I found compassion for my mom and accepted her for where she was, she surprised me. She's clean, and we made this entire show together. So I just have this strange feeling that someone will come along to surprise me. Life has a weird way of working out, just rarely in the ways that I've expected. I'm Emmy, and this is Crumbs. I'm glad you joined me and my mom for our journey. Thanks for listening. Also, it's been great to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram at emmyolea11 and TikTok at emmyolea. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. Reach out anytime, even just to say hi. Hey listeners, there's a lot of difficult subjects that we cover in this show. If you're someone you know needs help, you can reach the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline at 1-800-662-4357. They'll connect you with information and resources on treatment. There's also the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. Both are available 24-7. You don't have to be in crisis to reach out either. They're available for anyone who needs help. Crumbs is a Sonoro production in partnership with iHeart's My Cultura Network and Trojan Horse. It's produced by Hannah Bottom and edited by Margaret Catcher, Rodrigo Crespo, and Alex Humero with support from Elizabeth Schutzel. Original music by D. Peter Schmidt. And engineering by Carlos Magaña and Manuel Parra. Studio recording by JTB Recording and Podcasting Studio. Executive produced by Connell Byrne and Giselle Vances for iHeart, Alex Fumero and Margaret Catcher for Trojan Horse, Camila Vitoriano and Joshua Weinstein for Sonoro, and me, Emmy Olea. Special thanks to Mariana Coronel Aguirre, and of course, my mom, Hilda Gamboa. Listen to Crumbs on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, coming May 15th, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 